All righty, we got lots of uh, lot of little tiny stories, little different narratives about the Emergencies Act inquiry that uh, kind of paints an interesting picture. One of those stories that uh, Justin Trudeau was telling the premier, you don't need more tools to clear those protests from the Ambassador Bridge. And then, of course, five days later, he drops the biggest tool in his uh, powers, the Emergencies Act itself. And as Tom Korski, a Black Lives reporter, joins us to find out that, that uh, the police were more worried about the overtime they would make to deal with that bridge. Good to have you. Thank you, Alex. It's interesting, isn't it? The cabinet has an interest in pointing out how horrific these protests were. There's like a monster in the woods, and you'll, you know, you'll find chicken bones around a dead campfire. They're, they're carnivores. And yet every time you see the internal memos, the reports, the documents submitted to the judicial inquiry, it's a nothing. And... Uh, the Windsor protest, famously cited by the finance minister as justification uh, in part for the Emergencies Act because it was an economic cataclysm, she said. It wasn't, by the way. Well, it was so relaxed, the cops uh, were who, who lost out on overtime were complaining. And months after the fact, they were talking about how great the food was. Food was top-notch, they said. That was the, uh, the Windsor cops... Town cops' memory of the blockade was the excellent buffet. Yeah, it was so it was so calm and quiet that they were fo- so focused on the food. They're like, "This is good food, but we're not making enough overtime here." So, the, you know, when you look at this kind of stepping back from the outside looking in, uh, the police were just a gong show on every level. And, and frankly, and I'm not, I don't want to smear them all, but like that's ridiculous. They were so not. Either they weren't responding to anything, or nothing was happening to be responding to. Responded to. It's it's hard to to see this, but it is a bit interesting with hearing some of the stories of how ill prepared and and the lack of attention they were dealing to what was imminent. The other thing I want to ask you, and I don't know if you have these numbers because we always hear that there were billions of dollars lost in trade with the bridge closer. Did we ever get figures? I don't recall it being that high. Not that I'm excusing it, but I don't recall it being billions. We we did get figures. The and the finance minister Freeland said it was a, a third of a billion a day. She said over three hundred ninety million dollars a day, and we saw through internal Department of Transport memos at the time, written at the time. They said no, no, that that's the most extreme case. If you had a prolonged bridge shutdown that led to factory closures nationwide. Never came close in Windsor. Uh, Transport Department estimated your worst case scenario forty five million dollars a day times six days this is a two and a quarter trillion dollar economy so if you want to make an argument for an economic crisis that that required a state of national emergency declaration that windsor bridge shut down with a with a great buffet for the cops yeah that doesn't make the grade yeah given the blockades of the railway actually did add up to a significant amount uh, as well uh, meanwhile uh, a quebec judge upholding a four-figure fine for a harried office manager who was charged for breaking covid curfews by driving alone at night in quebec and of course quebec had the most ridiculously draconian strictest pandemic lockdowns of any promise these are the so we hear a lot about these charges that a lot of them will be thrown out in court and yet they are being upheld which i find a little i find this uh, very troubling it was it was unnerving in the day, and with the passage of time, you look back and I say, "This is how ridiculous was this?" This is a, an office manager in the eastern townships of Quebec. Saturday night, he says he's called by his accountant, says the server's down. Uh oh. So Mr. Murphy drives back to the office, 
reboots the office uh, computer network, takes three to four hours, is leaving, forgets his key, goes back. Long story short, he's driving alone in his car, one o'clock on a Sunday morning, after a long day at the office. I hadn't slept in a couple of days. It was a very busy time. He testifies in police court and is pulled over by patrolman because he broke the Quebec curfew. He's alone in his car. Thousand <laughs> so dollar fine, busted. And how crazy is that? The judge upheld it. Well, it, it's crazy. I guess a lot of these things are probably going to end up in the Supreme Court because some of them are just like there's just not even common common sense. Um, meanwhile, um, you've got this 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 finding of the documents where the police lawyers in this confidential January twenty eighth memo were actually cautioning Ottawa authorities to go easy on the Freedom Convoy pressers in case there were Indigenous people. So they wanted to be uh, very clear uh, of not, um, you know, the uniqueness of Indigenous occupations. Uh, again, you, you, there's no such thing as an okay occupation by anybody. It explains a lot, though. That that was yeah. a really interesting memo. That's Ottawa Police. Uh, l- let's be frank. Uh, it has never been clear when the convoys driving into town in Ottawa way back January 28th of Friday afternoon, why police actually directed them to park outside Parliament. Well, this memo helps explain it. This is an internal, top secret, it says on it, confidential, not for distribution. It's, it's to the deputy chief in Ottawa from police department council. And the lawyers say, we don't know if there's indigenous people in this freedom convoy, but go easy. If they are, if there are, go easy on account of ancestral lands. The, as you mentioned, unique uh, attributions of indigenous occupations and protests. We must stress a peacekeeping, I'm quoting, and we may have to bring in elders to talk about it. Yeah, so what's the takeaway here, Alex? This had zero to do with public safety. It had 100% to do with politics. That is the story of the Freedom Convoy and the Emergencies Act. You can't do that under the Act. The Act is only about public safety. But Cabinet used it for political score settling. This whole thing is 100% politics. Well, yes, it is, and it'll be very interesting to see where this judge comes down. He's got a lot to go through, uh, not a lot of time to do it, and um, it'll be interesting if he gives one of those rulings where he says, well, I can see why they needed it, but, you know, if he's going to come down on a couple of different sides, but uh, it's uh, it's been interesting. Can we dive into some of this election um, Canada polling? Because uh, they do so much internal polling, but I want to know from your mind what these, uh, you know, um, numbers uh, tell you. But Elections Canada did its own internal polling to gauge kind of the general public's opinion on a lot of various electoral issues. 54% um, of Canadians are still co- confident in the federal government. What, where, who they poll there? <laughs> Isn't that a striking number, though? And it struck. I mean, that's that's way higher than I thought it should be. You're saying it's a little inflated, but you know, sometimes people they want to be patriotic when they're called by a stranger on the phone, and they ask, "What what confidence do you have in these various institutions, Government of Canada?" Fifty-four percent. There was a greater number, almost twice as many, among the subgroups who said, I have zero confidence in my federal government, as people who said, I have extreme confidence. And What's the takeaway? You know, we talk about the false bottom of the barrel. Every time you think you hit the bottom of the barrel, there's an, it was a false one, there's a new bottom. 
Mm-hmm. When you have a bare majority of Canadians in a G7 country saying, I have any measure of confidence in my national government, if I work for the national government, I'd be staying awake at night. You, you, that is so dangerous for them. Forget about democracy. And that is, a, that is a testament to failure. That is a rational response to failure. And they just don't want to talk about it, Alex. It's always someone else's fault. Yeah. And then you look at the question of changes to make voting easier or maybe fairer for all Canadians. And interesting numbers, 21% disagreed. 21% said voting is prone to fraud. Um, and, and then, you know, when you see stories about China interfering and nothing being done about it, it's like, well, you wonder why people are going to be so cynical. Yeah, no, it's true. There's, it's absolutely rational. And you talk to people from all walks of life, doesn't matter, region, religion, language. This is an absolutely common theme in our country now that the federal government doesn't work. Yeah, because when you get 66% saying the government doesn't care what people think, I mean, there's no, these numbers clearly show that people do not have a lot of faith in those in charge. And it's by Elections Canada. This is this is not a police yeah. gazette poll. This is not an internet radio poll. This is not, you know, a Pat King Facebook chat room. <laughs> this is the federal <laughs> agency responsible for running elections. Yeah. What are they going to do with this information? God only knows. Because, you know, Tom, we, we, we talk about the uh, China story that really should be kind of um, career-ending for many politicians. And, you know, you wonder, you know, what does election, what's Election Canada going to do about this? Are they going to do anything? Does anyone care up there in Ottawa that China may be buying, buying off politicians who are compromising this country? I think people care a lot, and I think that uh, that makes some MPs care. It's up to the committees. The committees are gold on this. You will only get answers from the committees. Yeah. But, but every, there is a sense, I can tell you, on Parliament Hill that this is a very dangerous time. Yeah, I, I, the CSIS um, stuff that came out over the last couple of weeks in committee is shocking that we don't have any tools beyond 1984 to deal with this. So, yeah, I, I think the um, I think we're going to see a, a big uh, shift on, on this by the government, I, I, we would hope. Tom, I'm out of time. Appreciate yours. Thank you, Alex. That is Tom Korski. He is, of course, editor over at Black Locks Reporter, subscription-based and worth every penny.